Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to James chapter 3. We'll be in the last six verses of this chapter, verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 3. The book of James is a book that will help us as believers to mature, to grow spiritually. It's a book of, uh, that encourages us. It's a book that warns us. It's a book that challenges us. In fact, uh, that's exactly what uh, James has said at different places in the epistle. Uh, three specific statements as far as the purpose of his writing. Uh, he tells us, um, he's, he's talking to the Jews in chapter 1 and verse 4, uh, but let patience have her perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. And so he's talking to the, the Jews that are scattered in the diaspora, and he's writing to encourage them. He also writes to warn Christians in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. He says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And then he warns them, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded and uh, be afflicted and mourn. And we never need to get to a place in our Christian life or we shouldn't get to a place where we look back and say, I've arrived. Uh, there's always some growing that needs to take place and so we need to heed those warnings. There's also words of challenge as uh, we're challenged to have a genuine faith. Uh, chapter two, verse 20, faith without works is dead. And so in that aspect of genuine faith, uh, we saw that faith responds correctly to trials, to temptations. Faith is obedient to God's word. Genuine faith is not partial toward others. Uh, it is uh, proven by works. It uh, controls the tongue. And now today in this passage, uh, verses 13 through 18, genuine faith operates with a wisdom that's from above. And so the title of the message this morning, Two Kinds of Wisdom. First of all, there's a question and, uh, in verse 13, and then a challenge. The question, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Now, James is using a style of teaching that grabs the attention of the listeners. Everyone, everyone wants to be thought of as, as smart, or at least we want people to think that, someone who is wise. But here, if you raise your hand... James might ask you a difficult theological question, and uh, he's going to prove that uh, you, you, got it, you were wrong, you shouldn't have raised your hand. It could be that uh, someone would be caused to look around. Uh, who, who is wise here? Uh, how, who's in our assembly? Uh, if he said, take out a sheet of paper and write down the names of, of people today, if, if James were here, and, and you were to write down the names of people that are wise, who know their Bibles, who know how to apply truth, in daily living. How many names would you come up with? Would you write your own name on your list? I don't know. Uh, there are two qualifications in the question. Who is wise? It's the word sophos, a person who has moral insight. A wise person knows right from wrong and he has a desire to do what is right, to do something based on that knowledge. Wisdom doesn't come just by accumulating facts. You may be able to, to memorize trivia. In fact, you could uh, do well on the Jeopardy challenges. But if you can't use that knowledge, then you're lacking this sophos, this wisdom. Wisdom is the practical use of knowledge. And James is asking, who has the ability to use knowledge? And next, the next part of the question, he goes to that level of, of the facts. Uh, what do you know? who is endued with knowledge. And this word, it's the only time that it shows up in the New Testament, but it means uh, to have understanding. 
uh, especially in, in one expert field, okay? So you have, you're, you're uh, able to, uh, in that particular field of study, to answer questions, to be able to apply these things. So it's a word that has uh, the idea of academic intelligence. Now comes the challenge. Let him show, out of a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. Well, that wasn't what I was expecting. That took a turn. I thought James was going to, to ask something difficult to prove who is wise and how much knowledge they have. But instead, he says, this wisdom is going to affect you in a very practical way. A truly wise person is going to live a godly and a humble life. Micah the prophet described that practical living this way in Micah 6.8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what did the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So prove you have wisdom and knowledge by humbly living for God. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. The source of the proof is found in the phrase, out of a good conversation. The conversation here is an interesting word, anastrepho. It means to turn uh, again. Uh, in other words, to live like you should be living. Uh, James isn't referring to a conversation as we would use it with words. He's, he's talking about our behavior, your entire lifestyle. What kind of lifestyle should a believer have who is wise and endued with knowledge? It's described by one adjective. Good. There are two goods, agathos and kalos. This is kalos. It means morally good, noble, excellent, attractive. And it makes sense that sophos, the wisdom defined as moral insight, will then produce this kalos, moral goodness, in a person's life. People with God's wisdom will live moral, noble, honest, attractive lives. Now the evidence itself, let him show out of a good conversation his works. And here goes James again with talking about, you, I want to see genuine faith. I want to see how, how it affects your life. I want to see action. Good conduct is a proof of wisdom. Peter echoes the importance of faith that shows a changed lifestyle. In 1 Peter 1.15 we read, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of, and here's that word again, conversation, your life. In 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's an interesting verse. The unsaved crowd that you used to run with, they watch you now. They see your lifestyle is now honest. God has wrought a change in your life, and it's obvious to them. But it says they speak against you as an evildoer. Why do they do that? Well, your goodness makes them feel guilty. And so they're going to say that you're the one who's wrong so they can justify themselves. But your witness can't be overlooked. It can't be forgotten. And it says they will glorify God. When will that be? The day of visitation. And some people think that means the day that God 
visits them with his judgment. I rather think, because of the context, that it's God visits them with salvation. If so, then the tool that God uses for their conversion is your changed life. Your faith needs to affect the way that you live. So, James, don't tell me what Jesus means to you. He says, show me. Prove it. Don't just say God gives you wisdom. Uh, Show me. Prove it. Notice the manner of the proof. With meekness of wisdom. This is the distinguishing mark of true wisdom. It's humble. It's meek. It's not pushy and showy. As soon as a person puts their wisdom on display, you know it's not wisdom that's from above. It's amazing to listen to those who are considered wise and intelligent in our world. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of arrogance in their speeches as they defense their defend their academic achievements. Listen to the accolades that they pile on themselves. Watch the way the news media holds them up as experts and don't allow anybody to question that. Our scripture reading in 1 Corinthians 1 this morning made it clear. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing, to them who will not believe. The wisdom of this world will never bring a man to God. God chooses the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And he chose that means of salvation, he says, so that no one should glory in God's presence. The Edmund Hebert writes, The meek man does not feel a need to contend for the recognition of his rights or acceptance of his personal views. His life will be characterized by modesty and unobtrusiveness. Oh, that we had truly wise people today. If you want to see that humble wisdom and what it looks like, all you have to do is look to Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, Paul says, let this mind be in you. And it goes through the humiliation of our Savior, the humility as he bore our sins on the cross. But in Philippians 2, 3, he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Genuine faith is manifested in simple, unassuming, unpretentious wisdom that God gives to those who belong to him. James now contrasts that wisdom with the wisdom of the world. Verses 14 through 16, earthly wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So what's the proof of earthly wisdom? It proves itself as well. There are two evidences of the problem. He starts gently. He says, if. (laughs) This could be a possibility. If ye have bitter envying and strife. Verse 16 repeats those same two words, envying and strife. Bitter envying is an evidence that someone is relying on the wisdom of this world. Bitter is a word that means piercing or acidic. Envying is a strong desire. It's zao. We get our word zealous from that. But in the Bible, in the good sense of this uh, zeal, it's translated zeal or jealousy. Uh, God is jealous over his bride with godly jealousy, 2 Corinthians 11.2. But James is talking about envy, 
selfish gain that burns like an acid. And so although it's the same Greek word, the translators knew one is bad zeal, envy, and one is good zeal, uh, zealous or jealousy. What are you zealous about? Some people want fame and recognition. 30 years ago, a Virginia State Trooper and his dog, Master Blaster, became overnight celebrities. They were members of the bomb squad, and they were able to locate bombs that had been planted in malls in Hampton and Virginia Beach. But later, it was found out that the trooper was the one who planted those bombs in those different places, so it was no wonder that they could find them. He he was convicted of planting explosive in two malls, a courthouse, and a coliseum, just so that he could be the hero. He was filled with selfish ambition, bitter envying. He wanted to be famous. Some people are consumed with enjoying life and having fun, zealous about that. Some people just want to have things. They want to accumulate possessions. The question we have to ask, am I so motivated with zeal for these things that that I don't stop and ask God what he wants me to have, what he wants me to do? Matthew Henry said, Envy and wisdom cannot dwell together in the same heart. Holy zeal and bitter envying are as different as the flames of seraphim and the fires of hell. (laughs) That's really strong language, but it's very true. Strife is another evidence of someone relying on earthly wisdom. So bitter envying, strife, those are the two evidences of the problem. Strife is contentious. Strife produces arguments and causes division. Strife comes when you start gathering people around you to be on your side of an issue. Uh, The word for strife is only used here in the New Testament. and Often when that happens, we have to go outside the Bible to find out how it was used to know what what it means. I love what Douglas Moo says here about, he uses an example of Aristotle. He writes, Aristotle used it to describe the narrow partisan zeal of factional, greedy politicians in his own day. This meaning makes excellent sense here in James. Some who pride themselves on their wisdom and understanding are displaying a jealous, bitter partisanship that is the antithesis of humility produced by true, human, uh, true wisdom. So if you want more examples of strife, this is an election year. It's coming soon to a channel near you. Yeah. Bitter envying and strife, what do they prove? They're proving that a person is operating with the world's kind of wisdom. Where's the location of this problem? Where is this bitter envying and strife found? In your hearts. The very center of your being, your motives, your will, your emotions. You can't change the way you think or feel or decide until God gets a hold of your heart. And that's where true wisdom will start, surrendering your will, your heart, to him. John MacArthur says, Those whose lives are based on and motivated by human ungodly wisdom are inevitably self-centered, living in a world in which their own personal ideas, desires, and standards are the measure of everything. Whatever and whoever serves those ends is considered good and friendly. Whatever and whoever threatens those ends is considered bad and an enemy. 
Those who are engulfed in self-serving worldly wisdom resent anyone or anything that comes between them and their own objectives. Well, James gives a caution of earthly wisdom. He says, glory not. Stop boasting. Stop being arrogant. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise men glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Glory not. Another caution, lie not. Don't say that you're patterning your life after God's wisdom, and yet you're boasting about all the things that you've accomplished. Don't claim to be saved and then live according to the world's philosophies and mindset. That's the lie that he's cautioning. Lie not. The description of earthly wisdom. Verse 15. It says, This wisdom is not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. It's not from above. James used that phrase in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. So that gift that God gives is, is from heaven. His source is God. This is not from above. It's earthly. It's a kind of wisdom that's on display all over the world. It's very common today. It's sensual. Hebert says this adjective relates to the life of the natural world and whatever belongs to it in contrast to the supernatural world. That's God's domain. It's devilish. It's demonic in its nature and in its character. There are two results of earthly wisdom. Confusion and every evil work. Where confusion here is disorder, instability, James used it already in James chapter 1, verse 8, when he said the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In chapter 3, 8, we read it when it says the tongue is an unruly evil. And so the result of earthly wisdom is this instability, this unruliness, not going according to the, the patterns that are expected. And every evil work. Uh, the word evil here is uh, the Greek word pragma. We get our word pragmatism from it. Pragmatism is doing something because it works or it seems to work. Not because it's right, but because it works. We think that it's going to work because uh, uh, we, we thought it up and we've done this before and I'm going to be successful in this. And pragma is, is the meaning is it's empty. It's meaningless. Why is that? Because we're trusting in our own wisdom and not in God's. So question today, is your life full of this unrest? Is it full of confusion? It's time to examine. Are you making decisions based on your own wisdom, on earthly wisdom, on advice from an unsaved world? Or are you making your decisions based on what God is guiding you in through his word and through his truth? The wonderful verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And in that verse, there are three imperative verbs for each of us. 
The first is the first word of, the, of verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Put your confidence in him. And lean not. That means staying, putting down your roots, remaining. Lean not. Don't stay there in your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge. Have a knowledge of him and a regard for God. And he will direct your paths. That's the promise. Heavenly wisdom is seen in the last two verses, 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Here are the qualities. The first uh, here is not just first in an order, but primarily pure, clean, all the way to the core, free from contamination. It's a word that uh, the root word is, is hagias or holy. It's the same word we get our word holy from. Heavenly wisdom is holy wisdom. When a person relies on heavenly wisdom, he'll be conscious of, of desiring to live a clean and a pure life, separate from the way the world lives. These qualities that follow uh, are, are action words. They tell us that heavenly wisdom, uh, not what it is, but how it behaves. Uh, first of all, it's peaceable. Promoting peace instead of uh, stirring up strife. When you allow God's wisdom to govern your life, you'll be a peacemaker. You'll have a desire that men, other men and women make peace with God and then have peace with each other. Gentle, you'll treat others fairly. You'll be considerate of them. You won't be angry, overbearing, or rude. Easily entreated is the word reasonable. Able to admit that you, you may be wrong without always having to defend yourself. Willing to listen to others. Easily entreated. Heavenly wisdom brings this, is full of mercy and good fruits. A believer is known for, for being merciful. And the fruit of the Spirit are evident in his life, Galatians 5, and 23. Without partiality. It's the same concept that we had in James 2, and he said don't show partiality to those who come into your assembly. But it's a different word here, and, and this word is not judgmental. Without partiality. Last, without hypocrisy. It was one of the, the sins of the religious leaders of the day when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. If we're judging everything according to God's wisdom, there's going to be this genuineness, this sincerity in our lives. It won't be hypocritical. So those are the qualities of heavenly wisdom. Notice the results of heavenly wisdom. Verse 18, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. It's a certain crop. Did you notice it says the fruit is sown? Not the seed is sown. He's pointing to the certainty of the end result, the crop. You might say, well, I planted tomatoes, but you really planted tomato seeds or transplanted a plant that you bought from Home Depot and that was a tomato plant. But the certainty of the crop is expected, so you say, I planted tomatoes. Here James says, the fruit is sown. The outcome of righteousness is so certain that it's seen as it's already producing the fruit. A righteous crop. No weeds come up when heavenly wisdom is sown. There, is righteous, there are righteous deeds in your life. There are righteous thoughts in your mind. There are righteous words from your mouth. 
You have right motives in your heart, right attitudes, a righteous crop. And notice it's planted in peace by peacemakers. From beginning to end, your life is going to exude this peace and confidence. Why? Because you're not trusting and relying on what you can come up with for answers. You're trusting in the wisdom of God, heavenly wisdom. The Bible says there are two kinds of wisdom. We can make a lot of different comparisons. The earthly wisdom says get. Heavenly wisdom says give. Earthly wisdom says try. Heavenly wisdom says trust. Earthly wisdom says brag on yourself. Heavenly wisdom says humble yourself. The Bible's filled with examples that the world will look at and say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's not going to work. March around Jericho once a day and on the seventh day blow your trumpets and shout. I've never heard that kind of battle strategy before. I don't think that's going to work. Dip seven times in a muddy Jordan River and cure leprosy? Never heard of that before. Run, a giant, run at a giant arm for combat when all you have is a stone and a sling? That's not very smart. Put a bronze serpent on a pole and you survive a deadly venom of snake bite? Yes, and more than that, because John uses that illustration to say, to look to Jesus and have salvation, have eternal life. So that doesn't make sense. That's too simple. That's heavenly wisdom. The world called it a tragedy when five missionaries were killed by Alka Indians on January 8, 1956. Elizabeth Elliot said the world was missing something. She wrote, the world did not recognize the truth of the second part of Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What kind of wisdom are you relying on for the decisions that you make in your life? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'd like to just close with a, a question or two. The first question, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you looked to Jesus for eternal life? I wonder if you'd say, you know, I've, I put it off and put it off, or I've really... Being honest with God and with myself today, I'm not saved, but I need to be. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you raise your hand so that I can pray for you today? I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven if I die, but I'd, I'd like to be sure. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Raise your hand. Christian, are you praying and waiting on God? Are you making decisions based on how things look to you? You might be facing a decision right now, and maybe with just an uplifted hand, you'll say, I want God to show me his will, and I'm going to rely on his wisdom and not my own. Anyone like that? Raise your hand. Amen. Many hands. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given. We thank you that if we ask We'll receive that wisdom. You'll help us know what to do. And although it might not make a lot of sense to us or to others around us, if it's what you want us to do, help us to be willing to be obedient so that you'll get the glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.